I have a weird story that this song made me think of. When I was in high school, I had a guidance counselor, and this guy was, like, fresh from Seattle or Portland, like, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. And he had the total, like, scene kid look to him, the kind of swoopy hair, but it was, like, a little bit shorter because he's an adult <laughs> and a professional. He had the professional version of the emo kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah like yeah like the adult version the most professional version of, an, of the emo kid haircut you could have and uh we were talking and i was like oh yeah i'm in a band blah blah blah, whatever he's like oh i was uh i did music back in whatever uh, pacific northwestern town he was from right eugene oregon or something <laughs> right yeah eugene or something like that because everybody's from eugene i've never actually met somebody from portland or seattle but he said, yeah, have you ever heard of Elliot Smith? And I was like, fuck yeah, I have. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I know exactly who that is. And he actually gave me, or will let me borrow a tape, a cassette tape of some of his, some of his work. And it was 100% like Elliot Smith, like biting Elliot Smith's shit <laughs> super hard. Elliot Smith worship. Yeah, exactly. That said, he was actually a really good guidance counselor. He was the only guidance counselor I had. He's like, hey, you should think about going to college. And the rest of them were like, you should, like, military or construction are your only options if you want to make a decent wow. living. So, the you know, shout out to the Elliot Smith guy for he believing <laughs> in me. <laughs> and shout out to Eugene, Oregon, for producing a, a mensch of a human being. <laughs> All right, so today's episode isn't about Eugene, Oregon, but uh, what are we talking about, Derek? Uh, today we're talking about a song called Scott Street by Phoebe Bridgers. It is off of her album Stranger in the Alps, and it is uh, sad. Yeah, it's a, sad, it's a one. sad one. Also, what's even sadder, and maybe my other guidance counselors were right, uh, because I did not notice the second R in Bridgers. <laughs> Have you just been thinking of her as Phoebe Bridges yeah, the entire Phoebe time? Phoebe Bridges. I'm like, oh, okay, Phoebe Bridges. <laughs> like J- Jeff Bridges' daughter? <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I assumed it was Jeff Bridges' daughter. I mean, what else would? who else would she be? Yeah, I don't know why I missed that second R. Completely. Completely missed that second R. So, funny background story about this, and, and normally I don't care about these sorts of details, but this song is actually about her... Like, a, like obviously it's about a former lover, but it's also the drummer in her band. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's the guy. The guy that she's singing about is like literally her, like the drummer in the in the band in this band. Like currently or what? Yeah, currently. Oh. Like on the guy on the track, right when the drums kick in, that dude is drumming to the song that is about him. And about her feeling sad about him. That would explain why there's so little uh, percussion in this song. Yeah, I think so. I think it's like, <laughs> listen, you need to you need to come in at the very end here, buddy. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like the overall, like, instrumentation and everything that's happening in this track. I, I mean, everything from, like, the, the strings to, like, the kind of, like, weird sound effects that seem to be happening here and there. Yeah, there she does some weird things with the production. Yeah, but sure. I think it's it it is all kind of 
I mean, you get this sense of it's a it's an awkward conversation between two people, and the music uh, is there and backs that up in that you have these kind of random sounds. I mean, imagine running into somebody on the street that you haven't seen in a while. Yeah. And you would have just these random sounds, things going on in the background. I mean, at one point it sounds like there's almost like a truck backing up or something like there, like some weird uh, uh, noise in the background. Yeah, they put these sort of, you know, these almost like these found ambient sounds and things in there. Yeah, I think it's the idea is because they want to make it sound like this is an encounter on a busy street in Los Angeles. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I really like it, but definitely, I mean, and the reason I brought up the Elliott Smith stuff is, Obviously, there's this kind of this acoustic guitar driven song, singer songwriter type of song. And you have like the uh, the dual layered vocals, which, Mm -hmm. you know, that Elliot Smith was my first experience with like that kind of production of like layering not like really breathy sung vocals. Yeah. And. But yeah, I mean, I like that production style. I, I think I think people would refer to it as sadcore back in the day. I think yeah, yeah, it's definitely sadcore. Yeah. And the other thing that I you know just about the song structurally is it's one of those songs that probably it's probably about a minute and a half too long. Yeah. And, you know, because like it it kind of it gets in there, it does what it does, and then it sort of just meanders around at the end for a little while. But mm-hmm. I actually kind of like that also as a sort of thematic calling attention to the awkward way that you run into someone that you used to know. Yeah. And you kind of don't know how to end it, and you're just like, okay, well, you know, yeah, cool, I'm going this way, are you going this way? Yeah. Okay, well... It's good seeing you. Like, no, like, there's this, there's this sense of I don't know how to end this, and so I'm just gonna stretch it out for a long time. Exactly. And the music kind of does that along with the sentiment of the lyrics. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's super cool. Um, I think. I. I mean, I think it's really well overall, just really well put together musically. And the other thing I, I, I noticed when I was listening to it is using a lot of like uh, seven chords and sustained or like you know sus four type of you know they're altered chords so it gives you these kind of like interesting uh interesting uh, interesting notes over top of everything that's happening it's it's slightly different like she could have easily just played straight ahead like a g or a c chord or an a a7 or whatever and didn't have Mm -hmm. to get super interested or interesting or weird with it but this is something that I, I've noticed. Um, not a lot of singer songwriters do it. Like they'll throw it peppered in a lot. They'll pepper it in here or there. But this is something that I'll, I'll see that I really enjoy, and it's kind of it's it's an interesting interesting thing that you can do on the guitar because really it's just, all it is is just leaving one finger off or moving up one fret or something like that, and you get a slightly right. more interesting sound. And oftentimes it produces like a more almost like a sadder sound. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's such a different sound from what typically you just have your major and your minor chords. And every once in a while you have like your dominant seven or something like that, uh, or minor seven to just add a little bit of tension and texture to the music. But Mm -hmm. that's not too often that we see that in pop music or even folk music or even like this singer songwriter. Yeah. But like sadcore, I don't know. (laughs) Sadcore seems to experiment a little more. With uh, using different uh, different altered chords than than most other genres that you tend to run aside from like say jazz like jazz is all about altered right, chords yeah. right but like 
I think uh, as far as in that rock and roll tradition or in that rock adjacent type music, sad chord tends to like to use that stuff a little more. And I find it interesting and I like it. Yeah. And when I think that a lot of times what they're doing with that is those things, there's a sort of eeriness to it because it's almost like the chord, something seems a little bit out of place because it's not a major or a minor. And, and that is something that they're sort of, they can sort of use in their, in their tool bag to be like, see this, my my heart is out of place, kind of like these chord progressions. Yeah, exactly. It adds it adds a little bit of tension to the to the underlying music or to to what's yeah what's backing it, and so you get that tension that in a lot of cases, especially in this song, I don't feel like a lot of that tension ever gets particularly resolved because we're jumping from altered chord to altered chords. And I mean, that's obviously that's great for the overall, I think, theme of this song. <laughs> you have this you know, potentially super awkward and weird interaction uh, with somebody that may that meant so much to you at some point in time. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, OK, well, see, ya. it's yeah. like that. There's no resolution. Yes, exactly. So let's talk about, okay, so let's, let's dive in. Let's, dive, let's in. dive in. So the first verse is, she says, walking down, walking Scott Street, feeling like a stranger, which Scott Street, uh, so you know, is, is a, it's actually Scott Avenue, but it sounds better to say Scott Street. And it's a street in uh, Echo Park, which is the, I would say like the, the hipster area of Los Angeles. It's sort of just west of downtown and it's a lot of, you know, artsy shit and coffee shops and stuff like that okay all right so it, it you sort of immediately feel like there's a bunch of lonely lost people in their 20s in that you know as as in any sort of hipster area of town yeah and so that's what we're you know she's she's already just sort of being like look this is where we're at yeah so if you know anything about scott street like you it you it's immediate that you go okay i know who what types of people would be walking down Scott Street? And also, feeling like a stranger with an open heart, open container. So she's just walking down the street carrying a beer with her. <laughs> hey, and there's and there's nothing wrong with that. Just drinking a beer like it's fucking Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah. Well, I mean, and so this is the this is to throw it out there that the open container I think is a shout to Elliot Smith. He's got a uh, he's got a song, um, Saint Ides Heaven. Where the line is like, when I walk around here drunk every night with an open container from 7-Eleven. So it's like, again, like we're getting a lot of callbacks to this. You get this Elliott Smith vibe. And I would say the open container thing is, hey, it's a great line. It's very illustrative. The first two lines of the song are so illustrative and like sets you in the where right. this is happening. And then it's like, okay. And then you can read deeper into it and find cool little things like that. Yeah, you know exactly what kind of person this is. Exactly. They are, it is a sad person walking down the street, and they're so sad that they don't care that they're just flouting, you know, minor California state ordinances (laughs) about public intoxication. Right, right. And then I've got a stack of mail and a tall can, right? Got that tall boy. You already know that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like, there it is. It's a shower beer. It's a payment plan. Oof. I, I like to think that this open container started as a shower beer and it's just continued into the street. Yes. That is, that is my interpretation as well, that she opened it, you know, I'm taking a shower and there is, there is a sense of a depression so vast and severe that she can't even shower without numbing herself to the pain. So then she's, you know, opening a, a sort of a tall boy drinking it in the shower and then, 
She has to go out and get her mail. I don't know why she is holding, <laughs> she's getting her mail and walking all the way down the street. But that seems like that's usually something that you just go, go right outside a little well, bit. Well, maybe too. she's, maybe she's got a PO box that she's got to go to. <laughs> yeah, she has to yeah. around the corner. And it could be right. It could be like if you're in a band, you know, a lot of times you do have a PO box and you're picking up or dropping off merch or you sure. know, you're sending out records from people who are ordering it so it really could be that she's like walking to the post office but also just like drinking a beer as she does it which i don't know if you've ever been depressed enough to like not even be able to drink beer like i've been in that situation no i've never been that depressed (laughs) well it's just like it's one of those situations where you're you're i i i never really understood shower beers in the first place because i i have a job to do really it's it's amazing (laughs) a shower beer is a fun like, you, you have to be in a certain mindset, but especially, like, on the weekend or if you're taking a shower, like, in the evening or something like that, I would give it a shot. You might like it. No, I've, it might surprise I, you. B- believe me, I have given it a shot. I don't get it. Sha- okay. Showers are for showering. Beers are for drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and those two are mutually exclusive in my – I guess maybe I'm so busy, like, with trying to get clean and wash – the smell of disappointment off of me to like drink the beer at the time. Interesting. You, so you think of those things as like like showering is a, is about getting clean and drinking a beer is about getting dirty. In yeah, other words, yeah, exactly. In that's okay. that's what I'm doing. I have some very weird pathologies built up inside of my brain. <laughs> but see, I as a you know as a sort of dialectical materialist, I like the combination. Of feeling dirty and clean at the same time. <laughs> I think I think that that is that is what is attractive to me about the shower beer. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I like the contrast. There's helicopters over my head every night when I go to bed, and if you've ever lived in a big city like LA, yeah, this is very relatable. And not just because there's actual helicopters, you know, like police helicopters or news helicopters flying around annoyingly every night but also just sort of the idea of the mental and emotional helicopters of your life yeah right the things that are constantly surrounding you the things that are constantly hovering over your head the the helicopters kind of are a metaphor for that i think as well right well i'd even say just like when you're in a a big city like that especially inside of a in you say you're inside of a building the helicopter outside it's just a mildly annoying noise that's there that's like I wouldn't even say it's mildly annoying. It's just annoying. But, like, in any big enough city or any city, if you live close to downtown, you have, the like, just the noise outside that just keeps you awake but then also drives you into your – at least for me, drives me into my head and into my thoughts, and then I just can't fall asleep. And then spending money and I earned it when I'm lonely, that's when I'll burn it. And that that is also – there's a weird relationship between – you know, a sort of depression or a loneliness and the idea of consumption, consumer, right, consumer yeah. spending, retail therapy, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, and I have 100% engaged in that when I've been depressed. We've all been there. But then, like, the fun, the, <laughs> but then, like you get the thing and you're more depressed because you bought it and you don't need it or actually want it in the first place. Right. It's just it like is, a depression It purchase. is that classic depressive cycle, right, that you're like, I am going to see if I can spend this hole in my heart away. And, of course, you don't, and then you just end up broke. Right. So it just adds to your, you know, to your pile of bullshit. Yeah, 
which is which is always a wonderful <laughs> wonderful feeling interestingly right now we haven't gotten to any sort of interaction human interaction yet right the entire first verse is just setting the sort of emotional stage for this song mm-hmm. and then we get to the chorus which is just do you feel ashamed when you hear my name which is such a sad weird yeah dynamic well and like what happened yeah we don't know right all we know is that someone may or may not feel ashamed when they hear the other person's name and that it immediately recalls a sort of you know obviously a some sort of former love interest yeah that something went terribly wrong right to the point where there's there's shame involved potentially Mm -hmm. or there isn't right the do you feel ashamed when you hear my name could also be you know have you ever bothered to reflect on the things that happened in this relationship yeah would make you shameful yeah and i mean i've been in those situations where a relationship ends and you and you think about why it ended and it doesn't necessarily have to be like my first thought when I heard, do you feel ashamed? It's like, oh, is there some infidelity or what have you? But it's like, no, that doesn't have to be the case. Like, I've totally felt that shame of like, oh, I could have done things differently. I could have been a better partner or whatever it is. And you get into that spiral of like regret and shame about your actions or even lack thereof when things were either spiraling out of control or starting to go bad. Yeah. And then in the third verse or the second verse if you can think of it as the third verse if if you think of it as like the two verses repeating or you can think of it as the second verse i feel i feel like we've got we've got we've got stanzas (laughs) within each verse there's two stanzas within each verse i'll buy that i'll buy that that's that's how i'm going to look at it (laughs) so in verse two stanza one we get we finally get the we, we finally get the the interaction with the person. We get the awkward conversation. So here they are. They're on Scott Street. Here's the awkward conversation. I asked <laughs> you, how's your sister? I heard she got her degree. And I said, that makes me feel old. You said, what does that make me? And I love that Yeah. it's almost like she's, she's doing all the talking, right? Like the narrator is the one, how's your sister? I heard she got her degree. That makes me feel old. There's a sense of like filling in the space. Right. Like she can't. She's not letting him talk. She's just awkwardly saying things. Yeah, I just I just imagine, like, two people, you know, they've met, they've exchanged maybe some pleasantries. They're like, all right, how's your sister? I heard she got her degree. It's like, yeah. Well, that makes me feel old. <laughs> right. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> and, then, and then he goes, well, what does that make me? Like, that yeah. makes you feel old. I am very clearly older than you in this scenario. So, like, it's this weird thing where she's showing the awkwardness, but then she's also giving you enough details to kind of evaluate, okay, so this is a relationship where the man was a lot older than her. Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, presumably. Presumably. Or even, like, yeah, it's like, you know, he's either older than her or the same age or whatever. I mean, the what does that make me seems defensive to a certain extent. I I would assume probably definitely, I think older than her is the the easier or the better interpretation if if this person is responding in a mildly defensive manner right or in some sort of awkward way yeah and i also think that it's interesting that she's the the first verse is really or the the first the first part of the second verse is really about the second stanza of the the, yeah no well first first stanza second verse okay is about her about the sister like they're not 
willing to talk about their own relationship. Yeah. They they immediately veer towards other people that they know. Even though it's like it's very clearly the relationship is between the two of them. And then they're going to be like, well, what about this third, you know, what has your sister, I guess? Maybe that's something we can talk about to not have it be awkward. But then, of course, it does become awkward because then he gets very defensive about, well, <laughs> yeah. what does that make me if you're old? <laughs> like, they can't even talk about a third person <laughs> without it devolving into, well, what the fuck did you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, this sounds like the kind of conversation that would happen between me and my ex-wife. Bah-ha! <laughs> <laughs> Got him. The joke here is, listeners, I have an ex-wife. <laughs> is that the joke? No, it's not a good joke. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a good joke. It's actually just, it's just a statement. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, I'll, we'll let you figure out the joke for yourselves. <laughs> yeah, write your own joke. Yeah, folks. Ins- Come on. Insert. <laughs> so then, and then we get in the in the second stanza of the second verse the drums kick in yeah it was just guitar until the drums kick in and as soon as the drums kick in she asks how is playing drums yeah which is maybe a little too cute yeah so there's one right like just a little there's one thing i want to point out that i really loved right before this is when you get the you you get this is that ambient feeling of like it almost seems like a, a distorted guitar is going to come into this song and it just comes yes. in for a second and disappears. Yeah, it's like this, like, yeah. and then it just like ends. Yeah, yeah, and then we get the yeah the kind of the how is playing drums. This may have been like uh I the producer behind this song is like yeah the drums we should have the drums come in. And I was like, all right, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> yeah, a little on the nose, a little on the nose. I think the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. But then the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, that's eh, a bit. It's a bit much. Yeah. But then I love the response. How's playing drums? You said it's too much shit to carry. Oh, my God. Which it is, is a very relatable <laughs> sentiment for anyone that's ever played drums. You are carrying. You have as much equipment as everybody else in the band combined. Yeah. I mean, shit. It's too much shit to carry to just have a drummer in the band. Because, like, everybody's going to help out. <laughs> right. But it's like, God. So, all right. So, I, there was this band I was in a few years ago. And drummers, for those that don't know, drummers and bass players are notoriously hard to find in any genre. So you typically like settle for what you can get, and that is not, right. everybody wants to play guitar. Yeah, everyone's every, the... yeah, everybody wants to, or everybody can play guitar. So it's easy enough. And I'm not saying, um, in in case this, that guy ever listens to this podcast, I'm not saying we ever settled for you, Dave. We didn't settle. You were a great drummer. <laughs> Shout out to Dave. Shout out to Dave. But he was like a metal drummer. And so he had this like giant, ridiculous, like seven tom setup. And we were just like a straight ahead, like org core punk band. <laughs> with right. this like Neil Pert fucking drum setup. And I was like, dude, you need to reduce this shit. Like I, I can't fucking help you carry this to every single gig. This is ridiculous. He's like, what? And then you need the little the lift chair to lift him into the drum set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He can't, he can't get into it on his own. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous shit ever. I mean, it was kind of cool and funny because we would play with a bunch of metal bands. So they would think we were a metal band. And they would assume that you were a metal band too. And then just we would end up not being one. And so you, we would talk to people and they were like, well, you guys were loud. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's the only positive thing they could think to say about our band. 
Which might have mean we sucked. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but you were loud. We were loud. Counts for something. Counts for something. In, in, and in metal circles, I I do think that that is, you know, high praise. I actually, I do think so. You guys so. are loud, man. Oh, yeah, you too. You guys were super loud. <laughs> <laughs> just, that's what metal bands say to each other. <laughs> I think never been in a metal band, I'm going to assume. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that. <laughs> Sounds right to me. All right, but you said it's too much. But shit then to also, carry. I want to yeah. Go, go, go so ahead. and and also that's that's a nice little double meaning, right? Because obviously they're talking they're talking about their you know they're talking about their relatives and their interests, but really they're talking about themselves. Right. And so the idea that it's too much shit to carry is something that's happening with the drums every time they have to deal with that shit. But then it's also like our relationship contains a lot of baggage it contains the same amount of baggage as a drummer having to carry all his shit into a gig yeah well and so so the question is that that's kind of interesting because especially if if it's her leading this conversation for the most part which it is yeah so so it's her leading this conversation i mean that next line and what about the band it's like it's almost to me. It almost say, makes the you said it's too much shit to carry. It's almost like I'm not actually talking about playing drums. And you said they're all getting married. Oh my god! And that yeah. is that is also very relatable content. If you know to people in their 30s or whatever. Yeah. Where, you know, you're in a band or you're doing whatever, and slowly everybody sort of gets picked off, gets married, yeah. goes has it, you know, settles down, has kids, and then you're left like, well. I guess I'm not in a band anymore. Yeah. Like that is, that is so many bands that they're like, you know, whenever a band puts out a statement, that's like, you know, we just decided to go in different directions. It's like that dude, you know, fell in love, got married and had a kid yeah. and they don't want to tour anymore. Yeah. Like that's what happened to that band. Well, I mean, remember we went to go see, um, when I came out to San Diego to see Nothington and I, w- I was talking to Jay afterwards, one of their, their singer, one of their singers. And, I asked him, like, well, what's going on? He's like, he's like, look, man, I'm, I'm fucking 38. I just, I just want to be a normal person for right. once in my life. And it's like, yeah, it's being on tour, being in a band for the better part of your twenties and through your thirties. It's like, while everybody else is, you know, they've got their careers or they're starting their families or whatever. And you're making a choice. You're making a sacrifice that yeah. is is hard to make for a lot of people or like most people don't realize they're making that sacrifice until all of a sudden you're a few years into it and you're like shit this sucks right and there's this sort of weird thing that happens where you kind of either have to get a real job that hopefully allows you enough time off to go on some tours a little bit or you can't do that because you're constantly touring and you have to kind of make the choice of, okay, I guess this band is going to be constantly touring, constantly going out, never being able to settle down and get back into a sort of routine. So you're just always on the road. Yeah. Like, and there's like, and if you look at some of the, you know, some of the bands out there these days, their tour schedule is they're on tour eight, nine months out of the year. And it's just like, you can't like you, there's, there's nothing to ground you at that point. Like you can't establish a relationship because you're not you know it's you're in a long distance relationship with everybody in your life exactly you know and it, like that's a weird thing and if you're in a relationship unless that person i mean the, the one the bands that i've seen mildly make it work is when like the person working the merch booth is like somebody is like wife or husband or partner yes. or whatever 
And it's like, otherwise everybody else is like, well, I'm away nine months out of the year. There's no way to like keep a, a healthy and functioning or it's not no, no way, but it's going to be so incredibly hard to keep a functioning and healthy relationship when you're gone for mm-hmm. nine months. Like, yeah, unless it's like some long established relationship. And even then that's going to be difficult. Yeah. And then also the idea that you said they're all getting married, which is this sad note to end the conversation on. Yeah. Right. Because it's like, Hey, they did the thing that our relationship wasn't able to do. They did the like, successful end to the relationship thing whereas ours just fell into you know disintegrated into chaos whereas we're a bunch of losers yeah we're we're literally drinking (laughs) beer on the side of the road right now so so we're assuming both of them are just like just carrying i I imagine they're both they're both carrying mail and have a shower beer they're just they're identically doing the same sad thing they both have just like like sopping wet hair because they just stepped out of the shower and just carrying and also i it's it's interesting to note that they have a very different approach to dealing with the awkwardness where she very clearly fills the silences with awkward small talk mm-hmm. and he very clearly says as little as possible. Yeah. And every everything that he says is almost this like dig at their relationship. <laughs> Somebody's not bitter. <laughs> yeah, he is. Do you feel ashamed when you hear my name? He's like, it's like, well, I don't know. Also, the interesting thing is, who's saying that? Yeah, right. Because in, I think in the mix, it's like the, the it's double vocaled. Yeah. So it, it's almost like they're both still blaming the other person for the failure of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Not enough time has passed for either person to get over either. So I guess there's two two ways to go about this. Is either they both are either still blaming each other or depending on how so, I mean people process shit differently. Like one person right. could you know I've I've been in relationships with people where the other person blames you for everything. Then later on down the road, they blame themselves for everything. And I go back and forth. Which by the way, we I mean we've talked about this a lot. Like most failed relationships are co-constructed oh, right? yeah. and there's not like blame on one. i mean some some have you know one party carries more of the blame than the other but a lot of times it's just a matter of these two people were not in, on the same page at the same time for whatever reason and it's nobody's fault but the idea that it's nobody's fault kind of goes against everything that we're told about how to exist in this world yeah. by our culture that says like anything that, that goes wrong is because you made decisions that were bad or that were not conducive to being in a good relationship or something like that. Yeah. And so, you know, there's because there's this, frankly, sort of like capitalist machine that wants to blame you for all your problems so that it can sell you the solutions. Exactly. Anyway, don't be a stranger. Yeah. Anyway, don't be a stranger, which is a great little way to end this. I don't know what to say. I This relationship is... I, do you feel ashamed? I don't know if I do. I don't know if you do. This is awkward. Don't be a stranger. Don't like, be... I still care about you as a person, right? Like, there's still this glimmer of hope that we're not just going to go our own separate ways on this street and never see each other again. Uh, that's. I think that's the hopeful way to look at it. That's not how I look at don't be a stranger. How do you look at don't be a stranger? When I... I guess, and this is my, my, from my personal experience, I'm like, all right, well, you know, don't be a stranger. I know full well, I'm never going to see that person again. It's like, I, like, I don't maintain, like, I've never maintained a relationship with an ex before. 
And I don't know how many times we've said to each other, well, you know, don't be a stranger. And I've never talked to them ever again. And I think it's like, it's this, it's to me, the it's, it's like the end of a relationship, a equ- relationship equivalent of on a first date, like, hey, let's do this again sometime. And then you never talk to that person again. Right. Like, yeah, that, that very well could be what it is. But I also think that if you look back at the sort of the very beginning of the very first the very first line of the song, walking down Scott Street feeling like a stranger, the stranger is in some sense the post-relationship loneliness, mm-hmm. right? It's the haze. It's the shower of beer walking down the street being just full of your own terrible emotions and you want that to end. And so the don't be a stranger, it, yeah, it is this sort of like courtesy thing that you say to someone to try to get to try to end the weird (laughs) awkward interaction but it's also there's a hopefulness of i'm gonna get over this yeah right there's light at the end of this tunnel so i think i think the uh the hopeful the hopeful way to look at it is if this is if this is an inward facing statement like don't be Mm -hmm. a stranger like i could see that being you know it's like you're, you're trying to talk yourself up or you're trying to talk yourself out of that depressing loneliness but when the the secondary meaning or the alternative meaning is when you're saying this to somebody else or when she's saying it to him or he's saying it to her it's just kind of like all right you know we're not gonna see each other again like we're not gonna um like it's, it's just polite it's just it's a pleasantry um, yes, but I think that I love the sort of ambiguity of it because it's a pleasantry, but then it's also the deepest part of the song, and it's this thing that she she repeats to sort of almost convince herself that life is going to improve at some point. It's just got to absolutely right. She, she by the way, she's not taking any steps to improve it, <laughs> right? She's just she's got that shower beer. Hoping. <laughs> yeah, she's she's still walking down the street intoxicated. Well, and I don't I, and I don't want to get into that like pathologically optimistic American attitude that tends to exist that like, you know, it's like, you've got to take control of how you feel and you've got to feel good. And it's like, no shit happens. You feel, you get there eventually. Like, I do think that eventually, like I, you know, there's like, I always respond. Anytime somebody asks me how you're doing, it's like, Oh, I'm fantastic. Me saying that I'm always doing fantastic does not stop the fact that there are days I feel like absolute garbage and internally I am just in a very dark place. I'm like, oh, I'm fantastic. It's like I know how to put on a face. And so, like, you can't will yourself into a good place in in your life. Like, sometimes it's just time. Sometimes you need additional help through friends, family, or a fucking $70 an hour therapist or whatever. Um, I feel like $70 might be cheap. Thank God I have health insurance that uh, pays for that. We have a weird culture that's like, oh, just if you just think positive thoughts, you'll feel positive thoughts. It's like that kind of the secret kind of bullshit yeah i mean you know she's maybe repeating this to herself as a mantra like well don't be a stranger but there's no steps being taken to necessarily becoming getting better also i want to just like flag that it it almost gets lost because imagine walking down the street and you run into your ex 
and it's like broad daylight, and they're just fucking drinking a beer on the side <laughs> of the road. <laughs> like, can you imagine like the the sort of flood of emotion that you would be feeling at that? And she's like, "Don't be a stranger." And it's like, "Okay, lady, like you are drinking a beer right now. Get your shit together." <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a couple of ways, and it's like, it's like, right, like, there's, this is a song, like, this is, there is some shit going on in this song. I imagine that sort of floats over the surface, and when you really start to think about it, you go, wow, these people are broken. Like, both of them, on some level, are just completely fundamentally broken. Oh, yeah. But it's sort of beautiful and hopeful, too. So there is a weird sort of ambivalency if you're seeing an ex and it looks like they're not doing well. Well, and, and it's the other thing, I mean, depending on where you are in the healing process, it's like, it can feel terrible if they're doing really well. I mean, it's, it's the same thing of like, right. you know, my um, actual ex-wife, like when I found out a couple of years afterwards, she had gotten remarried and like was having a family, which is something that she had wanted and something that I didn't want. I was like, oh, hey, she's got the thing that she wants. That's awesome for her. <laughs> like, right. I feel good about that. Yeah. yeah. That's and I mean that's like obviously the mature way that you you know that that's what you're aiming for but but human nature often is such that or maybe not even human nature just this you know I think just emotions human like, culture yeah. yeah just yeah it, there is sometimes a sense of like ah doing well that sucks <laughs> and that's like it's like a terrible thing to think but it's you know, yeah no I mean it depends whatever. on where you are like if you're you know if if I I would say that like if that's your response maybe like three to six months after a relationship is over that's to me that's totally fine especially if this is something that like really meant a lot to you and you'd really hoped things would work out or you'd hoped that things could go well um i think that's an appropriate response like you you know it's like you're in pain you're suffering you want that person to be suffering too (laughs) like um, but if it's like, mm-hmm. you know, two, three, four years down the road and you see, and it's like, that's still your response. It's like, um, th- you need, there's some, some issues that need to get resolved here. Like if that's where you're still at years down the road, you have not had, ha- arrived at a mature, mature response. Um, mm-hmm. m- maybe you need to talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. At that point it's, it's becoming a, a problem. It's a little more pathological. Yeah, exactly. Um. All right, so Gabe, Darren, does this song slap? Ah, uh, you know, I think it's a great song, but I don't think it slaps. Now, why don't you think it slaps? So I really like this song, but just it's, I don't know. There's just something about it that I'm like, this is a great song. It does a lot of stuff very well, but like. It's just not, there's something missing for it. Something missing that's an intangible thing that I can't quite put my, my, my finger on. Hmm. Hmm. And like, I don't, I don't know if it's just the, the slightly a little too sad core for me or, um, I could see that it's not your real house. Like it's not, yeah, it's not, it's like if. If I were in a different place, maybe it would be, but like yeah. I you know, I can't Yeah, it's like I'm having a and this is and I'm having a hard time like I want to say it slaps because I really like the lyrics. I really uh-huh. like the music behind it. Um but it's just you like everything except for just the general vibe of the song. Yeah. 
It's interesting. I and I think that I, I get it because like I I listen to you know this kind of sad music a lot, um, and I will sometimes be like I remember there was one time where I was listening to Julian Baker in my car and. Julie was like, "Like, what the fuck is this? Please turn this off. This is awful. Like, this is like, are you trying to make everyone around you cry?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, I, I suppose I guess like, that." Like, so I get it. I get the idea of, "Hey, this is a bit much. This is this is a bit too much for me to take in right now." Yeah, I guess I'm like, I'm just, I'm like, uh, you know, it's like I feel like for a song to slap. You know, from my perspective, like, it's just either there, it does. Either, either, either it's a binary scale, like, it does or it doesn't. And right. I'm stuck in this weird space where I'm like, it's not a bad song. It's a great song, actually. It's really well put together. Do you, th- do you think that sad songs, sort of sad, plaintive songs like this can slap? Do you think, like, it's, they have a more difficult time I think, with the concept of slapping in other words is the concept of slapping something that is in some sense antithetical to something that is very sad and song yeah I, I would say so. so i mean i think so all right so when we did um uh mesa that song is sad in and of itself but like right they they play with that sadness in the upbeat and driving tempo of the song and there, so there's there's something recoverable in that mood, um, but this it's like we are hammering the sadness in both in the the chords that are chosen, the chord structure and song structure, in the way in which we build up this song is this kind of in some ways very ephemeral with the sounds that are happening and the production values. So. It's yeah, it's like really driving the sadness home, and I don't know that a sad like something that's just layering all these, uh, you know, these textures of sadness on top of each other can slap. I get that, and I and that's interesting because I think that it, really what this comes down to because I all say I think that this song does slap, but I think that the reason is because we have a different conception of the essence of slap Mm -hmm. because i think that if the song is doing the thing that it sets out to do really well and i think we both agree that this song does does. do the thing that it sets out to do really well i consider that a successful thing and so then it slaps like for that reason okay um i mean i again that's not my definition of it uh or i you know i've given Given my reasons, I think yep. we've got a uh, first in Does It Slap history, a split decision. Yep, the split decision. Um, we'll have to we'll we'll leave it up to the to a third party, a, a randomly chosen group, a panel maybe yes. that we put together, and and we will determine whether this song slaps exactly. and perhaps announce it at some other time. Exactly, we'll have to we'll have to do that. talking about early morning tony by the hip-hop supergroup belt you can find does it slap on itunes spotify google play stitcher TuneIn, and wherever fine podcasts are found 
If you liked what you heard today, please share this episode with one person you think would also enjoy it. Word of mouth is still the best way for us to reach the most people with our leftist music critiques and cultural commentary. Find us on Twitter at DoesItSlapPod. Our theme music is brought to you by the patron saints of Slap, New Junk City. You can find a link to their band camp in the episode description below. Our cover art was designed by Jeremy Hammond. Follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Thunder. Thanks for listening to Does It Slap? We'll catch you next time. Boom. We're out.